evening, TDN listeners, and welcome to this weekend interview with your guide and host, Anthony Drago. Welcome to my regular listeners. As I tell you every time, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to spend an hour or so with me once a week. It means a lot. If tonight is your first time that you're listening to this week in interview, my objective is to make you a regular listener so you too will come back every week. Special welcome to listeners on the Nature Isle who are joining us through RVR Jams. RVR Jams, RVR Jams is an online radio station and they carry some of our programming, including this week in interview. They broadcast online and also on DigiPlay Channel 59. Special good night to you. We know that Dominica has not fully recovered in terms of communication infrastructure after the devastation of Hurricane Maria, and we appreciate the management of our VR jams for making, for giving the people of, of Dominica the opportunity to hear this program. Thank you, and good night to listeners on the Nature Isle. I ask all of you to invite five people to listen to this week in interview with you. That way we can start a movement. You see, the purpose of this week in interview is to bring ideas and issues to your attention, to arm you with the knowledge so that you can be moved to act. And when we move in the same direction, we cause change. So help me to grow the audience so that we can have a movement based on good, solid information and knowledge. Invite five people to join us. My guest tonight on this week in interview is Mr. Delroy Nestor Williams, a super talented writer who describes himself as a short story writer who sometimes writes poetry. And, I, and that makes for a very special treat tonight. Uh, I, I, invited it, I invited Delroy here because he has a, a special um, piece that he did that explores the relationship between a young man and his father. And we know that Sunday is Father's Day, so tonight is a Father's Day special. But it's not just for fathers, because we're exploring the relationship between fatherhood and daughters and fathers and sons. But Delroy is a man with many passions. He is an activist. He describes himself as an activist. And he is especially interested in issues of gender violence and sexual violence against women and young girls. And so we will delve into that uh, uh, somewhat. He is also an agriculturist. He works as an extension officer in Dominica. And I ask him a little bit, I will ask him a little bit about that work uh, as well as um, he is also a farmer himself. So we'll, we'll talk some agriculture. I'm always excited to talk to folks who are close to the soil um, because that reminds me of my upbringing. Uh, Delroy is going to share with us some of his brilliant work and I know that at the end of the hour you will agree with me that he is a great author. Uh, as usual, I'm going to take a quick break to play some of the Caricom anthem. You know my passion is about Caribbean um, unity and having an anthem um, is a sign of, is one of the things that a nation has. So there's a Caricom anthem and every, every episode I try to play a little bit of it. Uh, I am super excited to talk to this award-winning writer, Delroy, uh, and, and so I will do that as soon as we come back. However, I have one last thing to, to talk to you about before I go to the anthem. 
I would like to bring your attention that there's a poetry mixer that is happening this weekend. Miss Annette Phillip is hosting Artists at her second annual poetry mixer on Saturday, June 20th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, it takes place over Zoom, so be sure to tune in. It's scheduled to be a night of entertainment by artists of uh, a mix of background and interest, featuring poetry, music, open mic, and spoken word. I, I will post the flyer um, on, on this weekend interview Facebook page with um, more information as well as the, the calling information so you can connect there. Okay, let's listen to the Karakram Anthem, and we will be right back with Delroy Nesta Williams. Distant lands, our forefathers came. Some seeking adventure, some bound in chains. Through battles waged and fought, through victory and pain, by test of their courage. Our freedom was gained In homage to those gone before us The heroes of lands in the sun We vow to join hands and to focus On building one Caribbean Raise your voices high Sing of your Caribbean pride Queen 
Hi, I'm Naika Muskaji, the TDN Network Ambassador, and you are listening to this week an interview with your host, Antony Drago. Uh, good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, welcome back, I should say, after the, um, after the break. Thanks for staying with, with me through the break. And as I told you, my guest tonight on this week in interview is Mr. Um, Delroy Nesta Williams. Um, Delroy was here last year when um, when I did the the poet not the poetry but the writers month literary month last year June I did the entire month of June I I, I featured writers and especially writers from Dominica every Wednesday I did two writers and at the end I also did an editor and a publisher and it just so happened that June had five Wednesdays last year and so we got a bonus and in that interview uh, Delroy, Delroy read uh, an excerpt from one of his short stories that dealt with a young man and his relationship with his dad and I registered it in my mind because I was really moved by that, by that reading and I noted that I was going to invite him back um, for Father's Day this year, Father's Day special so I'm going to, I'm going to say a happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are hearing me right now and for all of those of who have a father, whether he's alive or he's already passed, uh, I'm wishing him Happy Father's Day on your behalf. And so this is a good time to, to tell Delroy, welcome back to this week in interview and a Happy Father's Day to you, uh, your father. Uh, I'm not sure if you're already a father, but a Happy Father's Day to your father. Welcome, Delroy. Um, thank you for having me again. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I enjoyed it the last time. So when you asked me to be on this episode, I, I jumped at the um, opportunity. Yeah, I was very happy and, and very honored that you that you could come. I'm always I'm always so excited about my guests because you know being the host of this weekend interview, it gives me the opportunity to interact with people that I may not normally get the chance to, and so I always say that um, this weekend interview, Wednesday night, is the highlight of my week. Uh, but, but um, Delroy, are you a father? No, I'm not. But I hope to be soon. You, <laughs> you, okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave that right there and just tell you um, happy Father's <laughs> oh, Day to your father. <laughs> I, I can add to it. <laughs> yeah, you can add yeah. to it. Go ahead, add to it, yeah. Yeah, no, I want to be a father, and I hope in that next, by next year, around that time, I should be celebrating my Father's Day. Hopefully, just keeping my fingers crossed. Well, in that... And happy, mm, go ahead. And happy Father's Day to my father, who is in France right now. So, hoping that he's keeping himself safe from the COVID-19 and everything else going on. Certainly, a happy Father's Day to him. And, and, and per happy prospective Father Day to you. You hope that you will be a father... Um, by this time next year, so yeah, probably, pro- probably I might in, I might invite you back for part two of our Father's Day special, and this time you will be a proud, a proud daddy, and uh, so so I wish you all the best on that quest. Thanks for the blessing, I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, I I you know I follow you on Facebook. I uh, I see a lot about what you share. Uh, and um, what comes across really vividly is that you are very passionate about writing. Uh, very, very passionate about writing. And um, 
and I, and I love that. I love writers. I, li- I love people who can discipline themselves to sit down and put their feelings and their thoughts and their ideas on paper in a manner that they can share it coherently with others. But for, for the listeners that, we, that, that have joined us, since the last time you were here, Delray, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to, to the audience, give them a little background, tell them, tell them who you are. Yeah, um, well, I'm Delray Williams from Buffett States in Dominica. Um, I was raised by my mother and my father. Um, I spent most of my childhood living in Buffett States. I currently work at the Ministry of Agriculture as an extension officer, but I am more known for my writing and for my advocacy, gender-based violence and other um, HIV, AIDS and other social issues. So... So you're an agricultural extension. That is your day job, so to speak. Yeah, that's, that's my day job, and writing is my forever job. Writing is your forever job. So let's talk about your, yeah. let's talk about your day job very briefly, um, because this, this, this um, conversation is about your writing, but I am always interested in agriculture. I actually did agricultural science in school, and I loved it. And plus, I grew up in Castle Bruce, um, you know, from a farming family. And so I always feel like I'm close to the soil. But tell me about the state of agriculture in Dominica in the sense that um, since we lost the main cash crop that was there when I was growing up, which is bananas, uh, what, what are some of the main crops that are being grown in Dominica right now? Well, at present, I would say our main crops are root crops, dashing and yams in terms of acreages and volumes that we um, harvest and export. The main, that's the main exports that we have, um, followed closely by um, cocoa as a developing crop because the initiative by the government right now is to push cocoa as um, a crop that we can look to develop not only as a raw product but in terms of processing as well. Um, like I told you, I, I work in agriculture. I'm an extension officer. Mm-hmm. I work in the Colibistry area, the catchment, but I, I also do my own farming as well in the Concord area. So... That's my involvement in agriculture. Okay, so you, you're a farmer. Are you just like a subsistence farmer farming for your own kitchen, or are you really um, also doing uh, it on a semi-commercial, uh, we're hoping to sell and, and market? Well, I am doing it on a commercial level. Um, but I recently started after Maria. Mm-hmm. I bought the land just prior to Maria, and then I started farming after Maria. Um, my main crop currently is cocoa. I have an acre of cocoa and I'm ex- expanding further. Also, I have a citrus and um, just starting off a vanilla plot just to get the experience. I ha- I'm training vanilla production, but I'm finally getting myself into doing it for my own purposes. So that's the free crops I'm looking at. I, do- I don't want to go too much into agriculture, agriculture, but yes, I'm an avid agriculturist and farmer. So, you know, I, I, am, I am very curious about vanilla because when I, I grew up in Casabras, we used to do a lot of cassava and when we would be like in the, in the, in the platin, as you want to call it, making farine right. and stuff like that, we, you know, you listen to a lot of the folks while they're working, they talk about different things. And, and a lot of my education in terms of what used to take place in Dominica before came from that kind of experience. And I remember people talking about Dominica having a very thriving um, vanilla industry in the past um, that we seem to lose. But they also said that vanilla is a very challenging crop 
to to grow. So it's curious that you say that you are trained in vanilla production and that you're actually um, starting a, a vanilla um, vanilla production. So what well, has that yes. been like so far? At one time, Dominic was a world leader in vanilla production, mm-hmm. um, as as well as limes. Right. Yeah, I did I did my vanilla training in, in Guadeloupe. That was a long time ago, to be honest, two thousand and one. Right. And since then, I've never really gotten to put my it into practice. But when I became a farmer, I decided that I want, wanted to establish a vanilla crop. And it just so happened that the land itself already had vanilla. Oh. So what I'm doing, I'm using the what I, the vanilla like vanilla and I'm establishing an um, an orchard in between the citrus I already have and, and so forth. So yeah. So how do you propagate vanilla from cottons? From, I'm doing it from cottons, yes. Oh, that's 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 very yeah. interesting. If I ever come to Dominica, I hope I get a chance to look at some of that. I'm always curious about about the growing of um, vanilla and some of the other spices. So that's great. And you also say that you're growing cocoa, which you hope to expand a little more, and that seems to be one of the areas that the government is encouraging development of cocoa. Mm -hmm. Definitely that that area for sure. We have a cocoa project as um, doing plants and partner with Dexter to also expand the industry. All right. And, and, and yeah, and I know, I know there's a few people who are interested in doing, um, chocolate in Dominica. Um, I, I was in Grenada recently and they seem to have a thriving chocolate, um, industry there as well. So yeah, so I wish, I wish the farmers in Dominica, you know, all the best as, as you guys, um, both, well, you both as a farmer and as a support system for the farmer. I would really love to see a revival of um, a vibrant agriculture industry in Dominica, for sure. Thanks, thanks for that, yes. All right, so let's talk about your writing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's what brought you here. For those of you that that, that, joining, that just joining us, my guest tonight on this week in interview is Mr. Delroy Nestor Williams, and I invited him back so we could do... Uh, a, a, like a, a Father's Day special, we we'll talk about some of his work that he's done that features the relationship, the fatherhood relationship. Uh, and um, we're just getting started, just getting introduced. He, he is a, a gentleman who is extremely busy. He, you know, he's wearing a lot of different hats. When you follow him on Facebook, you see he does a lot of nature postings, and and he's always writing something, always engaged with what is going on. So what does writing really mean to you, Delroy? Well, writing is my, my passion. I don't think I could, I could do anything else if I wasn't able to write. I am able to express myself fully through my writing, um, create characters, deal with certain situations, and just vent on certain topics as well. I'm very passionate about social issues, so a lot of my work, especially my poetry, is about so- social issues. Yeah, so the second time you talk about you call yourself an activist and yes, you I mentioned am. your social work. So and you said um violence. What what did you say was one of your main um you know gender uh, gender based violence. Yes. Gender based violence. So so we talk right. we're talking domestic abuse, um Right, rape, harassment, all the and other topics similar to that. Okay. One of the things that's in the news a lot these days is um, transgender. 
Um, does Dominica have, or, or even just um, people being harassed because of their sexual orientation? What's the state of that in Dominica, you say? Is there a lot of that going on in Dominica? Well, there are pockets of, of incidents. There are incidences, yes. I wouldn't say it's large scale in terms of island-wide, but there have been incidents of people being harassed um, for their sexual um, orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're still, we still grasping the idea as of transgender and all, all the other things in Dominica. As you know, we are sort, sort of cushioned from everything that's happening because of where we are located in the, in the world. But we still um, are exposed to everything else. So gradually, I think we will be able to deal with it um, even better. But I know there are transgender people in Dominica who have been harassed. Um, in individual in, um, instances, though, not something that is um, like on a national level. What, is, there, is there any legislature that tries to address um, gender, gender rights? Well, yes, there's, a, there's a, also a ministry who deals um, actively with gender issues, the Ministry of Gender, gender and the Gender Affairs Bureau, the, mm-hmm. the women's, bureau, um, women's organization as well. There's also a men's organization that actively engages in gender um, issues. And um, it's, re- it's really one of the more social issues that gets attention uh, at the national level. So what would you say is the biggest challenge um, in terms of gender-based violence? Which one of those crimes you think, uh, or, or abuses you think, seem to be more prevalent? I don't know if you have actual statistics. Well, or it's more um, I, I don't have statistics with me right now. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for that I know, that and that's not, that's not what we plan to I, talk about. Just in, yeah. yeah, but um, child sexual abuse is one of the issues I think that is more um, prevalent. Mm-hmm. We've had over a thousand cases within a, within a 10 year span, and I think that really is alarming for a small country like ours. Um, so we need to look at addressing that more um, systematically mm-hmm. and ensuring we can protect our children. Yeah, yeah, that, that is very concerning. And I guess when we start talking about the purpose of me inviting you here, which is fatherhood, uh, we'll you can touch on that a little more because I have this theory that um, children who are growing up in a home where there's not a father figure are more vulnerable to um, abuse. I don't have any, any evidence of that. It's just a sense that I have. Um, and so talking about fatherhood in a sense um, addresses um, some, of that, some of that issue. But like I said, when we start talking about fatherhood, that's something we can touch on because... Because that is probably your second passion, the activist part of it. Um, yes. I, I want you to be able to use this platform to, 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 to hear some of your messages as well. Uh, but let's, let's go to your writing. Uh, I know that you, well, well tell me, tell us, tell us um, the type of writer that you are. And what that I mean is that I, you write short stories. What, what other type of writing do you do? Yes, I do mention stories and um, poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, most of my acclaim or my awards have come from my short stories, but I also um, have won awards for poetry in Dominica. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a short story writer who dabbles in poetry. That's what, that's what it is. You consider so yourself I mean, a short story writer that dabbles in poetry. Okay. Right. Um, Right currently, I'm working on a children's book. I'm hoping that to be finished by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And 
get to have it published and everything. And I just want to continue doing my writing. To be honest, I use my writing for a lot of activism. I took my messages and so forth to pass through. Mm-hmm. And if I couldn't write, if I couldn't write, I don't know what else I would be doing. <laughs> Trust me. You, yeah, you said but, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and your passion for writing comes across um, very vividly. Um, so you are a short story writer that dabbles in poetry. And, and, yes. and you are going to share some of your work with us. But I know recently you, you collaborated with a, with a few other writers. And um, you, you guys produced a collective called Flying Crapple. The Flying Crapple, yes. Yeah, and I wanted to take the shout out to um, Nicole Judges and, and Nicole, all the other writers yeah. Yeah, who, who spearheaded um, that effort and, and put out a very... Um, brilliant uh, a production. I, I wanted to read with uh, you know a little bit of, of your contribution to the flying, flying crapple to give the readers uh, a, a little taste of of your writing. And uh, your contribution is called Mwese Metu. In translation, in translation, it is I am your master. So Mwese right. Metu uh, by Delroy Nestor Williams. Uh, Eddie had always been a quiet man. Living on the outskirts of the village meant he was always met with a curious but hesitant eye. The village children were always warned to stay away from him. That stereotype suited Eddie just fine, as he never meddled much and didn't like any disturbance. He spent most of his days going to Tatan, is that what you call it? Yeah, Tatan. Tatan in Marigaland or the Saints, smaller islands just north of Dominica to sell produce from his three-acre farm. When he wasn't farming or selling his produce in the French islands, Eddie took his small boat just west of the Cabrits, let down his anchor and his fishing line, and drank the day away. He never worried much about his catch, but he always came home with a dolphin fish or tuna. It was always enough to feed him for a week or two. Eddie had kept to himself ever since Mary, his ex-girlfriend, had left him for a policeman in the next village. He had tried his best to get her back, but she preferred to stay with the policeman, even though he was a married man who had his own wife and family in Roseau. Eddie, who couldn't understand her behavior, simply explained that she was under a zombie. Once everything was incomprehensible to Eddie, it was attributed to a zombie. It was his way of understanding the world. Mary's exodus had been the start of his drinking, and she would probably be the end of it all if she had paid him any mind. But she no longer showed any interest in him. In fact, she totally ignored Eddie. Every time they crossed paths, Eddie was reduced to tears. She had, she had this hold on him. He said it was because of the same zombie too. He would sit down anywhere and cry like a baby with no care for the occasion or the audience. It had become a village spectacle and many people looked forward to their chance encounters. It wasn't often, but whenever it happened, the village would be talking about it for days at a time. But now Eddie had a plan. He had visited Agade's affair in Marigaland during his last trip there. She was told about, he was told about it from one of his French customers who had heard about 
his issues with Mary from one of the other farmers who had also made the journey across the blue waters to sell produce. And I'm going to stop there because, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think right there we've whetted the appetite of the listeners. Those of you who are not from Dominica, Gadid's affair is, as we would say, in, um, in, in the U.S., one of those people who are a fortune teller. Uh, um, right. Right. Want somebody that can, that can tell stuff that's going to happen in the future. And so Eddie thinks that um, it, it's, it's some kind of um, uh, evil spirit that caused Mary to leave him and not want to come back. And it's the same evil spirit that's causing him not to be able to let go. And so your writing is so, is so vivid. I, 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 like, I like the fact that, you know, you draw people into the story. I mean, I can almost see Eddie sit down by the side of the road if his head in his hand and just crying every time he see me. <laughs> so that's your contribution to the flying crapo. Um, I also have a second contribution, but that's one of them. Yes, yes that's, so that's one of them. So yeah. listeners, you know, we featured the flying crapo on this weekend interview before. And so I encourage you to go to Amazon and purchase your copy of the flying crapo. So, is that something that you do a lot, um, collaborate on different levels with, with other writers? Well, yes, I have contributed to three anthologies since I've been writing. Mm-hmm. One, I'm in, based in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Um, second one was, a, was poetry called Poets of the World. Mm-hmm. And each poet had to contribute um, a poem about the capital city in his country, and I wrote a poem called Something About Rosa. Oh, the poet is called Something About Rosa? Yes. Oh. And, I, and, and now we have the flying grapple. I think was was one of the things I, I had most um, fun working on. Yeah, um, that, the flying grapple is pretty interesting. It mixes um, folklore with... Um, Sci-fi, Science fiction, uh, yeah. Very, very interesting. Do you, uh, I know we have a couple others to, um, to, to, to deal with. Uh, why don't we go into the reason why, um, I, I asked you to come, I invited you to, to be my guest on this week in interview. Uh, there's, okay. there's a short story that you wrote called Hug Me. And you read, Hug a, me, yes. yeah, you read a little bit of it last year. Uh, it dealt with a young man and his relationship with his father. So uh, do you want to, to set the scene or if you want to just read something from it for us so it can launch us into our discussion on fatherhood? No problem. But before I do that, I, I just want to tell you, as the first time I've heard somebody read my work out loud. So, so thank you. <laughs> oh, really? You, you're very welcome. Yeah. I, enjoy, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy your work. Um, I don't know if I did it justice, but hopefully, um, listeners got the gist of the story. I, well, I got the gist, so I hope they, I did it. Yes. <laughs> so let, let me just go, go ahead. Um, hug me. Sir, can I talk to you? I inquired, strolling up to the rocking chair as my father paid for the New York, for the New Chronicle newspaper. It's Friday afternoon ritual. What you want, boy? He responded dryly. You can't see I trying to relax after a long week. I'm not going to take long, sir. You better not. 
I'm trying to read right now. Five minutes, sir. Five minutes. I continued. Fiddling with the pen and paper I held between my fingers. Well, talk now, boy. You don't have all day, you know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As old as I was about to graduate from the Dominica Grammar School in a few weeks, his words still managed to instill fear in me. It was more than just his tone. It was a disdain and dismissive manner I sensed in his every utterance. It felt like he truly hated me for whatever reason. So, what do you have to say for yourself, young man? He disturbed my thoughts with this question. Well, sir, boy, stand up straight and look me in the eyes when you speak to me. Um, yes, sir, I responded, rattled a bit. I pulled my arms at my back to hide the trembling. A lone bead of sweat flowed down the middle of my forehead. I wanted to wipe it, but it would make, it, make him aware that I was scared. You see, that's my problem with you, no boy. You say you want to tell me something, I give you my time and see. See you now, you waste it. Come on, speak up, speak up, boy. Sir, sir, I get into it. Um, why, what, what? I stuttered. Why what? Be a man, come on, speak, say it. His voice grew. Why, why, why you ever hug me? I asked. Racing through the woods. What you say? He asked sternly, his brow creasing into his forehead as he dropped the newspaper onto the small table and slowly clasped his hands together, deliberately rubbing them. I said, why don't you ever hug me? Counting my words this time. Boy, boy. Why should I hug you? Tell me, why? I don't know, I responded. I knew why, I just couldn't come to say it. I wanted my father to express his love for me. I wanted to feel wanted. I wanted my father to tell me he was proud of me as a son, as a child. You don't know? You don't know? He responded, mimicking my earlier speech pattern. No, sir. I lied. You've got a problem with me? No, sir. No, sir. I don't have no problem. Yes. Yes, you do. You do. But tell me, what is it? Young man, what is your problem with your father? Sir, well, um, no, I don't have a problem with you. It's not that. I just want to... No, why you never hug me? You never talk to me. You never tell me how you feel about me. But I talking to you right now, right? Yes, sir. So what more do you want from me? Sir, sir, it's not that. I want to know, uh, do you love me? I ask again, stepping back slightly to put more distance between us. Boy, where is all this talk coming from? Tell me, who putting these things in your head? He fired back defiantly. Nobody, sir, nobody. I just want to talk. So love me. Are you gay, boy? Is that it? You gay? No, sir. I'm not gay. But I don't understand all them questions. Where are they coming from? 
Um, well, sir, I was reading, and I, I, you see you and them books, read a newspaper, read the Bible, but no, you spend all your time reading these novels. What do you think them so? Sir, they are good books, just like the Bible. Jesus loves me. That's what it says, right? But I want to know if you love me like how he does. You know something? You're too damn smart for your own damn good. Boy, I am your father. I am supposed to love you. I have no choice in the matter. But so that do answer my question. Boy, let me explain something to you. Let me make it clear. He replied, lift himself from the rocking chair to stand squarely in front of me. My head now at his chest as I looked up into his eyes like he had instructed. I was trying not to blink or to show any signs of weakness. I knew that he was trying to intimidate me. Not this time. He lifted his right arm, placing it firmly on my left shoulder, and he squeezed a bit. Not to hurt me, but just enough to assert his authority. How old I be? he asked. Sir, I don't know. I'm not sure. I would say I'm 42. Not at all. See, i 47 years. When is my birthday? I don't know either, sir. Why is that? You never tell me. Nobody tell me. I said, dropping my shoulder as I sense defeat. You ever think to ask me? No, sir. No, I never asked you. And why is that? I don't know. I don't know. A while ago, you knew it all. All of a sudden, you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing at all. Sir, sir, no, let me continue. You had your turn to talk. Now listen, he commanded. Yes, sir. You see, boy, as a man, I learn things. I understand things too. Nobody cares about the man. I get up early every morning at five, sick or not, I get in ready for work. I have to take two bus to get to Porsky. I work out all day and I come home at night. Most times I just eat my eat a food and I watch TV till I drop sleep. Most times right there on that rocking chair. Weekends I on my farm and I doing what I can. At that moment I swallowed hard. I could feel every word that came from his inside. It felt like I had awakened him, given him that one chance that he had always wanted to let out something that had cemented in his belly for much too long. Boy, you listening to me now? He questioned. Yes, sir, I listening. Well, act like you're listening. You see, boy, I don't ask for much around here, you know. I do what I have to. I just do what I have to. With no thanks, no good job, no nothing, to be honest. And I am looking for nothing either. You hear me? Life is not going to treat you any different. Life is going to treat you just like that. You hear me, boy? Yes, sir. I sung it again. Feeling like an automated response. He had cornered me and I walked right into it. 
He had managed to make himself the victim when it was I who had come to him to vent. You know what my last boss did to me when I asked him for more money, when I asked him for his Timarbu, he transferred me to another project site. Why you why you think I work in the right course? I think I enjoy taking two bus every morning. No, sir. But he even give me the raises. Next day, he transferred my class. You know what that do? I spend more money on bus now, so the race end up on nothing at all. But, sir, I interrupted. I don't finish yet. Let me land first. Let me land. Let you land? I inquired. I had never heard him use that expression before. It caught me a bit off guard. Yes, let me finish. It was strange hearing him say that. Almost like he was begging for my permission to continue. In that moment, it made me feel grown. Felt good too. I looked at him, and for the first time, I observed his grace. He was graying everywhere his ear, eyebrows, nose, ears, and eyelashes. Even his eyes seemed to have red. As they sunk into his cheekbone, barely held together by the wrinkles that encircled them, his lips were dry. Racking too, although one small dot of saliva had gathered on either side of his mouth. His skin had grayed too, a faded brown hue that was new to me. What's going on with my father? I didn't remember him at all like this. This was all too sudden. When did he get so old? How did he get so fragile? This mountain of a man, a man that I had feared all my life, suddenly looked so frail, so broken, so human. You see, boy, boy, I try, and life not good to me. See, I never finished school. I not like you, and I see you doing that. I'm proud of you. Don't believe I'm not proud. I am. I boast you all the time. At work on the farm, I tell them all, you're going to be the first child in this family to go to college, and once I arrive, I go be there. I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer, but that is your choice. You see, me as a man, I don't say much. I never a talker. This is the first time we're talking so, and maybe I should have talked to you more. I know it, but it kind of late for all that now. Daddy, Daddy, I disturbed, my eyes swelling up with tears and pride as the saliva in my mouth was about, was about to choke me. Yes, son, he had, he had stopped looking at me, preferring now to gaze outside the window while speaking. Why you care watch me, Daddy? I don't know. Boy, I'm trying to explain life to you. You see... Life disappointed me a lot. I disappoint myself too. I run your mother from the house. I do it. I know. I'm not proud. Not a day goes by. I don't regret the way I treat that woman. She was too good to me. Too good to us. I run her away, you know. And I hope you don't do the same to your wife. 
I pray that every night I pray for you, you. I pray to God you'll be a better man than me. That's all I can do as a father, provide for you and pray for you. But sir, you can talk to me. I old enough to understand. Boy, sometimes I don't even understand. Life funny like that. Life go explain to you on things to you until the end. The end, I ask. Yes, the end. Or near the end. You go understand what I mean when the time comes. Don't worry, my son. But, but, what do you mean by that? Son, I don't have much time. Now we're talking. It's best I just tell you now. I, I, I am prostate cancer. The doctor say, I have a few months to live. He said, each word hitting me like a rusty dagger in my chest, tearing at my flesh. What do you mean, prostate? I asked, knowing exactly what he meant, but still confused by the sudden revelation. You just tell me you're old enough to understand me. But, but why you take all that time to tell me, daddy? Or you can have prostate cancer? I asked, knowing the can the answers all too well. How do you tell your only child you're about to die? Life never teach me them things so, he said, sliding back into his chair, once again looking towards the window. I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say, what to do, or if I should do or say anything at all. Sir, sir, when is your birthday? I asked to end the awkward silence that built up, the words choking me as I sounded them. Tomorrow, tomorrow is my birthday. I get in 48, he, he replied wryly, without turning around to look at me. He had indeed aged. The conversation had aged him. I was killing my father. This took a lot from him. I could tell. He was a shell of his earlier self. I just stood there looking at him. I couldn't say anything. I wasn't prepared. I never thought of that scenario before I approached him. I stepped towards the chair, grabbed my father around his shoulder from behind. He raised his left arm to touch mine as I rocked the chair slowly. I sobbed uncontrollably. He said nothing. He did nothing else. Wow. <laughs> wow, is all I can say to that. Yeah. You know, that, that is so deep. And you touched on so many um, nuances, so many feelings in that writing. Uh, let me ask you, um, was that, is that purely fiction or is that based on, on an experience? No, it's purely fiction. It's purely fiction. You're, you're, yes. you're a very good writer. You capture so many emotions when you're writing. So, when, how long ago did you write that story? That story is about two years old. Right, and you read it last year. Yeah. No, well, not it. You read just a little bit of it last year. A little bit, right. And I had no idea where it was heading. So, so me and the listeners are, are just as carried along, <laughs> you know, um, 
like like we in one of those on a tube in one of those rivers in Dominica, and you just take us along, and many bends and and, and so on. Uh, you said that you sometimes participate in competitions. Have you ever yes. competed with this piece of work? Yes, I I did actually won the independence competition. If that's all right. I, I can imagine. I can imagine because this is this is so well written. What what I got away, what I got the main thing that I got from this conversation, with the with the awkwardness in which it's the conversation started, with the belligerence, um, and then the the opportunity to 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 to, to, to talk and reveal and and it got softer and so on, is in a in a father son or father daughter relationship the importance of having difficult conversations right that's it uh, and 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 even though it's difficult and we don't know where it's going to help i guess those conversations we should try to have them um in your in your work as you go and you do you get involved in your activism and and all of those things uh do you do you get a chance to share a lot of that type of information with with people in, in, in the community? Well, it's, um, yes, I have done a number of readings publicly and also at um, schools. Every year I do readings at schools. So I get to discuss a lot of the, the themes in my um, stories. I've also done readings on the radio as well. So um, I'm able to do that. Um, pass convey my message. I also engage a lot on social media, so I share a lot of my work through social media. So I'm able to engage, especially the younger generation, um, in relation to my my stories. Um, I would say I'm a very active following, and just the opportunity to even share that that story itself helped help me. I've mm-hmm. never really read it um, so vividly. Um, I don't, I don't know what somebody, something about this occasion made me take my time to really deliver uh, because I wanted the message to, to be to be clear. We need we need to have difficult difficult conversations and fathers need to have those kind of conversations with their children. Because we always find that um, as parents we talk down we talk down to children, but we don't really talk to them. If, right. you, get, if you get my my gist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that, that is exactly what has happened in, in this conversation. And uh, through the, the difficulty of the conversation, he was able to reveal that as, as a man, he, he's not feeling wanted, he's not feeling respected. But at the same time, he himself hasn't taken the opportunity to really mold his son to give him that kind of um, respect and love. That is, and his son is also searching for, for love from his father as well. Yes, and you know, you see what one, one of the significant things about the story is the breaking of the cycle, right? Right. Because there is a son growing up with his father, and and by the way, the theme of the single father is not is not single hand, father, yes. is not handled very often, and you and you handle it very well. There is this there is this man raising his son by himself, and has all his feelings and everything for his son. And um, his son has no idea, and and right. they're both going along, assuming that each other realizes how they feel about about each other. And without that conversation, 
And of course, we hear the sad news that he is about to, to pass. The son would have that same sense in him and probably react to his son in the same way. But because of this conversation now, you can, you, you, you can see a hope where when that boy becomes a father, he would probably be a little more reactive with his son. And open to his, with his son, yes. And thereby breaking, breaking that cycle. Breaking the cycle. Yeah. So the message, the message to fathers, if these fathers are special, is that communication is the key. Right. Um, you know, it's not that we want to be recognized for every single thing that we do, but also it is wrong to just assume that what fathers do, they have to do it because it's their duty to do it. Because, because a father can supply a home and food, and another father can provide the same home and food, and the way that it is perceived is completely different. Completely different, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I guess that is. I mean, when you wrote that story, um, I mean, what what were you? Is, are, are those the things that you that you set out to write? Did the story evolve as you wrote it? Tell me a little bit about your writing. How you? Uh, well, most, most of my protagonists in my stories are female for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I usually write from a um, female perspective a lot of the time. But I challenge myself, or from a child's perspective, but I challenge myself, I say, I'm going to write the story. Um, the protagonist is going to be male. The, and every, every one of these stories is going to be male. It's going to be about the father. I was also involved in a project called Father Man in the, um, with, a, with a, a Dominican base in the UK. And it, so we were talking about, you know, male figures in the country and the fact that fathers themselves are really appreciated. And I just decided, let me see how I could um, just mesh all the different issues that we were talking about into a story. And, and, and you managed to capture a lot of those um, nuances and, 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 and in a very good way. And it, it's interesting that you say, it's interesting and instructive that you say a lot of your protagonists are, are female. Uh, female, yes. And what I'm saying to that is probably because we, we, we associate the exploration of emotions and feelings to be more feminine. And if this is an indication of the type of writing that you do, then it's not surprising that um, sub, you know, maybe subconsciously you associate that those types of deep thought and and connection to your to your feelings to it being female. Is that I mean, what do you think about about that thought? Well, I I really feel the the fact that I am um, usually have a female protagonist is mainly because of my, my other passion is advocacy and the themes that um, I write about okay. are usually like rape, child abuse, and things like that. So. Mm-hmm. That, that, I think that informs my writing a lot, even subconsciously most of the time, because I don't really go into writing a story saying, I'm going to write it like this, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a female, a female lead and so forth. I just usually, once I get the idea, right. I usually just pen a quick summary of what the story to, to say, right. and then I go and develop, develop the story after. And sometimes it's very simple. Um, I wrote a story on a bus I was just listening to the conversation of the people ahead of me, and mm-hmm. they mentioned a few things. 
and I wrote a, a whole story while listening to what they, they, their best to get. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's what I admire about writers. I, I interview Gifters John sometimes on This Week in Interview, one of my regulars. And I, I like the way that you artists, you know, folks who, who are artists, um, can look at the same thing that I am looking at and get a story right. out of it. You know, and I just experienced yeah. the moment you guys get a story out of it. But the, the next story I have lined up to read mm. is something similar. I went to buy bread in a shop and I just decided right there and there, I was observing everybody and I started to write a story in my head. And as soon as I got home, I started to work on the, on the story about buying bread. Well, let's go into that one time. Um, since you've already laid the groundwork, let's share that one. Yeah, um, it's called Boy Bread. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember it like it was yesterday. The first time Granny, granny sent me a make message. I used to come every weekend and spend time with her when my mother had to work by them after the fan house. Granny never used to make me go in shop. Always inside house, like I was one of a million ornaments and them had on the wall units. I was 10 years old at the time, eh? She fed them bigger boys to take my money in my hand like they used to do with other people's children. As I get up that early Saturday morning, Granny sent me and go and wash my face in the outside pipe. I brush my teeth too, you know. Then as I sit down to watch a little cartoon on the black and white TV in the living room, it's so she called me in the outside kitchen. Myself thinking it was for some bush tea. Boy, look five dollars and go down the road and buy boy bread for me, please. Four jackery and two mastic. Yes, granny. I answer, grinning my teeth them because I was happy to go down the road. Those skylark, you know, go straight and come back straight. You remember where the bakery is now? Yes, granny. I answer, a little vexed that she was giving me all that instructions. It's next to the rum shop. It's next to the rum shop, you know, but don't go inside there. I warn you. And make sure you wait for your change Junior. Yes, Granny. Okay, now, I say as I left the yard. And don't let them boys by the road take my money in your hand. Eh? I uh, scream out. I never answer that. The sun was just coming out over the mountain. And I could still see the dew on the leaves of the hibiscus hedge by the neighbor, General Sam. General Sam had a bad dog, a German shepherd, we, that he called Major. So when I reached near his house, I crossed the road, kicking a few small rocks. General Sam was a kind of strange man. I remember he just used to scream out things from his porch when anything on him at all hours of the day and night. My granny says one of them played Sukuya, them that spoiled him when he was trying to fight it. One weekend, when I was spending time with my granny, and we was weeding her flowers in the front yard, I just hear the man start to scream out. I cried, and you know, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, let my people go. And another time, I hear him say, Pope John Paul, Pope John Paul, your mother, screaming at the top of his lungs again. Sometimes he would say it in Creole too. And every time he do that, 
my granny only shaking her head saying, is this soup, soup that riding him? So, myself said the man have an issue with them Catholic in the village because I don't know what Jesus or the Pope have to do with him. Time I reached the corner, I noticed a few of them boys, my granny had warned me about on the street corner early morning, so I showed none of them the breakfast yet. I bent down to do as if I tied my shoelace and I took the five dollars in my shoes. I continued walking down the street thinking one of them would try to stop me or something, but they just let me pass without a word. I was so happy, I started to jump in the road. When I reached the, by the bakery, but I looked along a line of people, 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 people. First time I see all them people in the village in one place, so I stand up at the back of the line waiting my turn. He's shouting here, shouting there for bread. Who want jackery? Who want mastiff and small bread? I smelling that bread and boy that smelling nice like heaven, you know. You can smell the butter in that thing. My mouth watering. A rasta they asking for whole wheat bread and they telling me they're ready yet and he started to chant Silas in name on them people. Is when the Lord is why when they have all their Lord they they just come and have Mola Powell, the lady in front of me. The Rasta over here and is now the day that starts them people bakery. Noise and more noise. Who shouting and who cursing. A certain time, boy even come out and threatened to close the door. If he thought that would shut up them people, is now they start to make more noise. This time they make a noise with him. They forget they was making noise with each other and they start on him. What they do tell boy about the bakery is what they forget. But they still want the bread though. Myself pull up watching and listening to them people until two little boys about my age call me. They were playing marble hole in an empty lot just behind the bakery. I passed for the shaft spot and I joined them. I, did, I didn't have marbles, but Karim, the younger one, he gave me his cat eyes to play with them. I pull up playing marble hole, even forget about the bread from my granny until Mr. Bass, one of my granny church friends, Passed with his paper bag, bulging with mastiff. He had one in his hand eating as well. As soon as I see him, I remember my granny. I don't tell Karim and Kenny nothing. I just run back to the bakery to make my granny message. By that time, the crowd had died down and only two other people was there. Two women pumping Beth about something. I noticed they wasn't buying bread, so I bypassed them and I asked for my message. Good morning, Mr. Boy. I want four mastiff and jackery for my granny, please. Mr. Boy, you watching me up and ask. Boy, why are you sweating so? It's running around to come inside here. Yeah? No, no. I was just behind there doing that. There, granny, senor, he asked, handing me my bread. As I get my bread, I tend to run to go because I know my granny waiting on me. She probably worrying. Boy, boy, my money, you don't pay me yet and just running. Saki, Saki, we you now. Sorry, sorry. I answered. I forget we. I checked my pants pocket, but no money. I checked my shirt pocket, no money. But then I remember I put the money in my shoe. When I watched down, I see the $5 almost ready to pop out. 
I say I lucky. I miss the boy my money and I pull up waiting for my change. He don't busy to go again then, Mr. Boy asked when he seen me still in the shop. My grandchild I waiting for, I tell him, change? What change? Exact money you give me, dear we? But my granny tell me, wait for a change for her. Boy, who is your granny? My dada living down by the Pentecostal church. Oh, my dada is your granny, he confirmed. And you sure is that wretched one? But she never customer of buying all that bread. Is that wretched you tell me to buy? Is that you tell you? Or you forget what the granny tell you tell you? That you tell me, I responded. Well, then, it do have no change for you, Mr. Boy, he said. I just turn and walk out the bakery. Them two women were still by the entrance from in bed. I sat to walk my granny home. But that bread hot, and every minute I have to change hands. It was smelling so good. One of the mastiff had a boot of another bread stick on it, so I break it off and I taste the thing. Although it was hot, that just melts on my tongue. I could taste the butter in that. Boy, that tastes nicely. As I walk in, it's quite eating. I eat, I eat. When I reach near General Sam House, I look down in the paper bag, I forget myself, and I eat a whole mastiff. How I can explain that to my granny? As I stroll in the yard, thinking of an excuse, I go and give her. I open the front door slowly, trying to slide in the house without granny know. Junior, but why you come out so long? He shouted from my bedroom. Granny, the bread wasn't ready yet, nah, when I reached, and he placed a crowd. So ready bread? Look, I put it on the table for you, granny. Bring it come, bring it come, and bring my change too. I get walking slow, slow towards granny's bedroom, knocking on the open door and taking my time to enter. But why are you knocking the door, Junior? Is me I tell you to come? I don't know, Granny. I don't know. Put the bread there. You see, the point in the chair. I give me my change and I put it in the cash then. Granny, Mr. Boy, you don't give me change now. He said, do our change. But how we do our change now, Junior? What you buy for me there? Let me see that. But, Junior, what I send you and Barry, she say after I give her the bag. Four massive and two jackery, Granny. Junior, did I tell you? It's not two massive and four jackery. Oh, yes, Granny, I make a mistake. But, Junior, ready the massive, put that in the bag. Ready number four. I don't know. Maybe it's in the shop, no, John, Granny? I lied. Well, you go in, I can get it there. And tell Mr. Boy, send my change for me, please. Bring back them to Mastiff and tell Boy he's two jackery I could want. You hear me? Yes, Granny, I say. I was vexed, you know. Boy, you can't make message. And it's the last time I tell you and buy nothing for me. Annie, hurry up. Annie, hurry up. Granny ordered me. Yes, Granny, I say. But as I walk out the house, I don't have a plan of not going back to the bakery. As I pass in my general Sam house, I decide to hide in the hibiscus hedge. I bend down in an open area and I check in. I go and just wait there for a while. Then go back inside until Granny, the bakery closed. 
I had probably, I had probably stayed there for two minutes or so. Maybe even less than that when I hear Major start to back behind me. I had even forget that dog had tied there. As I get enough from my spot to run, it's so I hear in general Sam shouting, Madada, Madada, look your picnic there mashing up my hedge there. My granny must have heard him right away eh, because I hear one full junior she shout. It frightened me even more than Major had. It was too late to run, so I head back inside the house. See, boy, what you doing in the manflower hedge? She asked me. He saw he wanted to put me in trouble in general for him to pray on my head like how we just do the other villagers. You don't like me, man, Junior. You don't like me? I don't say a word. I just stand up there with my head down and one hand in my pocket. But look at me when I'm talking to you, she say, my, my second baby, no, Junior. Nothing, nothing, no, Granny. So why you don't go and do my message like I asked you? Because, um, because I eat a massive Granny. I say, taking a few steps back, she hit me. So, Junior, you don't think I know that? All your teeth have bread in it, eh? Chill out. You don't know you can't pull granny. I was just making you fry in your own oil to see how long you're going to lie for me for. Granny, i sorry, really. I don't mean to eat it, you know. But I had taste of peace, and I ended up in a whole mask by mistake. By mistake, Junior, by mistake. Yes, Granny, by mistake. I don't go and lie for that. I say stepping back again. Junior, let me tell you, if you're taking things, take it from me and nobody else. You hear me? But always tell me you're taking it. Yes, Granny. Junior, nobody do like teeth around them. Yes, Granny. The end. Awesome. <laughs> Bring me back to village life in Dominica, going to get hot bread on a Sunday morning or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like I said, you are a very gifted writer and um, the, your love for writing is very obvious. Um, and, and, and just from last year to this year, I also see your, your progression as a writer. And so, and so uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have you as my guest. We, we are pushing against time, but, you know, for, for the listeners that may have joined us late, my guest on this weekend interview is uh, Delroy Williams, Delroy Nestor Williams, and he describes himself as a short story writer who sometimes dabbles in poetry or sometimes writes a poem. And he's going to leave us with a poem, but, you know... Um, there's a lot going on now in the world with, with coronavirus, yes. with the issues with Black Lives Matter in the U.S. where I live. And, um, you know, the, 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 the protection that a father feels is his duty to provide for his family is being challenged on so many, on so many bases. Uh, you know, like, I, I, for example, I live in New York City, which was the epicenter of um, the coronavirus. Nah, you yes. know, guess who had to go to the grocery store when everybody else is told to stay inside? Guess who had to go to the grocery store and get groceries? And, and so, exactly, the father. <laughs> most of the times, the father. Uh, and 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 with all of these um, killings of black people as being highlighted these days, it's always been going on, but it's highlighted. You 
I, you know, I am a father. I have three sons. I have two daughters and three sons. Um, as a father, you worry about the safety of your, of your children. And, and so I know you say you're not their father, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to, to talk about your, your experience and your thoughts, because writers like you always think, about the corona pandemic, about the issues that's going on now with black um, oppression and, and, and the fight for our recognition as human beings, anything else. Um, so, so, I, so let's talk about that. What, you, what are your thoughts? Well, in relation to co- corona or COVID-19, um, I think it just it gave us an opportunity to examine ourselves, to look at what's really important, um, family, friends, connections. I think um, especially in Dominica where we were under for a, a, a long period, it gave us an opportunity to really spend time at home. I, I've never been at home that much <laughs> in a while. <laughs> right. So um, I, I spent a lot of that time doing some self-examination, thinking of mm-hmm. all the things I've done recently and what I need to do to get where I want to go. Um, I think that self-examination is very important. As, as individuals, we need to take time off to reflect. Um, I... I'm now focused a lot on my rest and relaxation more than I used to do before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that period of time gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, I think it also allowed us to examine the, our habits, you know, the washing of the hands, the social distancing. We, we are, you know, what we refer to as a new normal. So we have changed habits and just getting used to a lot of those things can be a challenge. But what I really liked about this period of time, um, because we were on the curfew, um, it gave me opportunity to just read a lot as well, because I'm home. I cannot watch TV all day long, so I did a lot of reading. Um, and if reading, also, it, it gave me an opportunity to uh, um, explore other forms of writing, not just my writing, because... Although I write a lot, I also do a lot of, a lot of reading, but I haven't read in a long while. So um, people like Chimamanda Adichie, I read, a, I read a lot of her books. I read a book about, from Trevor Johnson, and a, I read from Nick Flying Papo. And even I even read a romance novel, something I never really <laughs> did in the past. <laughs> so, yeah. so, and I worked a lot on my children's books. So I, I was happy for that opportunity in relation to that. And I know other people may not have the opportunity to express themselves the way I do in terms of my writing, so they have to find other avenues to um, deal with corona. Mm-hmm. But reading, reading, reading and writing was what, the way that I dealt with um, the changes that occurred around me. So you're back at work now? Yeah, I never really stopped working. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, because you work in agriculture, you work work in ministry. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you know, talk about what are your ideas about these black um, issues that's been highlighted in the news? I am passionately black. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I and I unapologetically as well. I don't apologize for my blackness. I was born. I was born this way, so I have nothing to apologize for, and I just feel. at present, now the, as the iron is hot, we should strike it and try to get as much for black people in relation to race and um, white privilege and all the other th- thematics going around. Mm-hmm. 
we need as a people to come together, not with any vengeance in mind, but just to make sure that as a, um, a race we can propel ourselves forward, you know, and look for um, justice and equal equity, equity more than equality. Mm-hmm. Equity more than and, equality. But I think so. Yes, yes. What is the difference? Because we have huh? we have some barriers that. We have certain barriers that, as as a, as a race, that we are uh, automatically once you are born black, there's certain things that hurdles in your way. Mm-hmm. And even if you treat me equally and you don't remove the hurdles, I'm still at, at a disadvantage. So the the hurdles have to be removed, the generational curses have to be broken, and and so forth. And we as a people have to do what, not just do what we have to do, but we have to also change systems that um have kept us back over um, generations. Right. So that's what you call equitable. Okay. Yes. Uh, certainly. I, um, before we close, I know you go, you're going to close off with, uh, with, uh, with one of your poems because you've, we've, yes. we've read a couple of your short stories. And um, I really appreciate that. The, you, you presenting your work on this week in interview like this is a gem. And, and your, like I said, your writing brings your, your, your readers well, in this case, our, our listeners, right there with you. And, and I know we go, I'm going to get a lot of feedback because the scenes that you describe are scenes that are present for not only throughout Dominica, but throughout the Caribbean, in village life. And even in Rosa, people go to buy bread on a Saturday afternoon and that sort of thing because I, I lived in Rosa for, for a while. And so I, I, I really uh, like your, your writing. Uh, like I said, we're going to, I'm going to close with you reading a poem that you have, you, that, that you, you, you've written called, I think, Prayer, right? Or Praying, Praying. Pray, pray, pray. Prayer, right, pray. So, but before we go, uh, I, I want to give you the opportunity to, to talk a little bit, a little bit more about fatherhood and, and talk to the fathers who are listening and, and, and the folks who, may have the opportunity to, to be a father figure in somebody's life, even if they're not their biological child. Um, and, and as I said at the top of the hour, I wanted to express that thought that I have to you. And since you are actively involved in that aspect, um, that unfortunate aspect of our society where we have a lot of gender abuse and child abuse and, and sexual violence, against women and children. To me, it seems as though a lot of the young people that are targeted for sexual violence by these um, predators and criminals are children who do not have a father figure, a competent father figure in their household. That is what I, that's the sense that I have. I, I haven't really done any research or I have statistics to back up that, that feeling. But is that something that you see happening um, as you go about um, advocating for more just treatment of women and children? Well, generally speaking, most abuse takes place within the home circle or somebody that's close to the home. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, there's a, uh, if there isn't a father figure, then there, there's the opportunity more for that abuse to take place. And if the father figure is not playing a prevalent role or a significant role, then people, the abusers really, I don't know, they have a way of zoning in on families that are, that are broken and 
vulnerable and vulnerable, right? Uh-huh. Yes, getting to to be a crutch type figure, mm-hmm. so that the mother or the auntie has to lean on them, and you know, and they have some influence on the family. And we have a, a situation in Dominica which we call hush money and and so forth. Um, where these people pay 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 their mother or the aunties in the family for the opportunity to feast feast up the children and so forth. Um, I really think if we address the role of fathers in in, in the um, family, then we can also limit the incidences. Mm-hmm. But I must say, I must say, um, what I've noticed a lot of young fathers have have been in their breaking breaking those generational curses. Um, I think we see more and more young men walking and taking their children to school or in the afternoon taking walks and, you know, socializing with their children. Right. I don't remember seeing much of that growing up. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, I, maybe I wasn't observant or looking for those things, but now I know for sure I'm, I'm seeing a lot more of it than I was seeing like five, ten years ago. Definitely. So, so, hope, so hopefully... If we can get proper yes. legislature, proper enforcement, and with some of those social changes, we should see well, a, a bend. Well, legislature, we, we need behavioral change. Behavioral can, change. Yeah. Yes. Like, you, you want to take a couple minutes to expand on that a little bit? What, do you, what behavioral changes well, do, do you refer to? Legislation can only do so much. Mm-hmm. Um, we, have, we maybe have the best legislation in the Caribbean in relation to um, gender-based violence and, and child abuse. But enforcement is lacking, mm-hmm. and, and so because enforcement is lacking, people are not changing their behavior. They know the um, legislation is there, but if, there, if there's no one to enforce the legislation, then I, I can carry on with my merry way doing what I always do, as right. I always do. Right. And if I know I can abuse and get away with abuse, why should I stop abusing? Mm. That 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 type of thing. So we need to look at changing behaviors changing also stigmas and, and this associated with those um, incidences. We have a lot of shaming that happens mm-hmm. uh, of, the, of the abuse. Right. Um, it's always so, somebody shaming or blaming you. What were you wearing? What were you doing? Why did you put yourself in that position? Why didn't you tell somebody? But never asking or never blaming the um, abuser. So we need to shift the the uh, focus from why the abuser abused what did or what they did, they did into why the, the um, abuse, abuser is actually innocent children and vulnerable women. Right. And so that's, that's, that's the behavioral change that we want to, we want to see. Um, yes. A, a, lot of, a, a lot of education, a lot of consequences, and as you said, a lot of support for for the victims. Uh, right. So, yeah. So I wish you all the best in your passions, man. Um, Thank you very much. And, and not just, you know, results, you know, results. And, and as usual, I brought you here as, as a writer, um, a writer who had a special piece about a father-son relationship to talk about it just ahead of Father's Day because Father's Day is on Sunday. Sunday. And, yes. <laughs> and, and, and so I really... I really appreciate that, but I can always bring you back whenever you are ready, and we can talk I'll about this. We can talk I'll about this, advo- this advocacy that you do, 
and your activism work and, and we can shed some light um, on some of the behaviors that we would like to see change. So, so I, I'll, I'll invite you back to, to do that. Well, let's close off our conversation, a very wonderful conversation, I have to say, that we've had. Well, um, and you said that you had a, a poem that, yes, you, I do. that you wanted to close with. So let's, let's go to that. Pray. And they asked me to pray. So I stood up and said, There's no need to close your eyes or bow your head. God will still hear these words. And so I pray that everywhere people who look like, walk like, talk like, and act like me will do normal things and not have to worry about being falsely accused or arrested or even worse, killed for being black. And I hope and I pray that no middle-aged white woman doesn't call the police on any of us today, not for babysitting, barbecuing, shopping, or any other thing. I pray I'll be able to bring my son to the park and he can play football. And as a proud father, we'll be able to scream and shout, supporting my son, without being called by the law to curb my enthusiasm and dumb and drunk my support, embarrassing me in front of a crowd because of the insecurities of one person. And so I pray some more that I can drive the streets at night and not have to fear for my life. Every time I see a cop's car in the review, wondering if a boy in blue will overreact if I don't praise, remain silent, or raise my hands on command. And I pray that I can sleep in peace in the dumb ram studying or in the shop in my neighborhood supermarket without it being reported to the police or even while campaigning as a politician, going door to door to speak to constituents as I seek to represent them. I pray that I can enter my apartment without having to provide proof that I live there, followed through the corridor until I enter my own door. And I pray that no one will spray paint racist epithets across the walls of my home or on my fence because he doesn't want me to live in the same community. And I pray that no one will plant crosses on my lawn, burning them down, trying to prove that I do not belong. And I pray in the face of all this, all this injustice that I never show fear, that I am always brave, no physical or mental slave. And I hope that one day my people won't have to live this way just because of the color of their skin, bronze by, by nature and hated forever. So I pray for deliverance from the slave master because slavery was never really over. Just clothes in new clothes, cuts to fit a new era, but we can identify it by its stench. So we strive to persevere over persecution, and while some pray for freedom, I want justice too. Freedom alone just won't do. It won't give us a clean slate. We've tried that before, and still they continue to hate offer them love to our own detriment. So do we pray? So do we pray until judgment? As we end tonight, I pray. Yes, Father, I pray. Amen. Amen. 
I, I, I think that's a good way to leave it. Um, I, I, I thank you so much uh, for coming, for being my guest tonight on this weekend interview, for sharing your work, for, for recording in, in, in print, for recording what's happening around us, for capturing the feelings and, and, and all the thoughts and all, the, all what's going on. Because that's really what artists do. They capture what's going on and save it so future generations can experience it and be knowledgeable, knowledgeable about it. So, so Nesta, I, I know that, that you have that as your, as your middle name or if it's, a, if it's your writer's name or, or what. I, I want to give you the opportunity to, to close, to wish all fathers a happy Father's Day, if, if you so wish, on Sunday and for any final thoughts. Yes, it's actually my real name, Nestor. Um, I want to say thanks for the opportunity to have, for having me here. I want to say happy Father's Day to all fathers, especially my father who is in Paris right now. I hope he enjoys his day and he has a ball of a time. I just, as we go, I just want to say, um, as we continue developing as people, that we communicate with one another, um, mutual understanding is very, very important. We listen, we learn, we um, keep ourselves open to opposing views and we respect those views. I want to just thank you once again for the opportunity to be on your program to share my work. It was a wonderful opportunity. I enjoyed myself and I'm hoping that you will have me back sometime soon to continue with my advocacy, with my writing, and sharing my passion in the rest of the world. No, thank you very much. We didn't ask, I didn't ask you where um, listeners can find your work. Um, if you have any work on sale, or, or where they can, f I know you have a Facebook page and they can follow you. So before you go, tell listeners where they can find your work and where they can, how they can support you. Well, most of my work is on my Facebook page, but I, I'm currently working on a children's book that I'm hoping to finish before the end of 2020 called um, Cicero and its Scholars. Mm -hmm. It's not complete yet. Um, I already have a publisher waiting patiently for the book. Um, um, so once that is available, I'm hoping I can come back on your program to do some promotion. You're um, very welcome. But besides that, I don't really have another any book out at this moment, or besides the flying grapple that um, I have to, to um, pieces in there. Yeah. Awesome. So Delroy, thank you so much, listeners. My guest tonight on this weekend interview was um, Delroy Nestor Williams, very prolific writer. He describes himself as a short story writer who also writes poetry. And he shared his work with us so generously, and he's a talent, uh, constantly developing talent, but um, very good at, at his craft. And, and Delroy, I wish you all the best. Happy, happy Father's Day to your father. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are listening to me and to the fathers of all the listeners. Uh, I, I hope you have a great um, Father's Day on Sunday. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.